Hello, everyone. Another edition of To The Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well on this rainy Thursday, but, you know, it may be crappy outside, but the world of sports is in full bloom. Um, we have the Olympics. We have the NFL preseason opening tonight. And yes, I will be one of those losers who watches majority or most of that game. We have the CFL playing their first game in 20 months. The rematch of the 2019 Grey Cup. I'm ecstatic for, for this to happen. I'm just, I'm just so excited for, for the athletes to be able to play. It's like the Olympics waiting five years. This has only been 20 months. But it's what they do for a living and make far less money than the NFL or NHL, NBA, what have you. And I think a lot of these guys play because they, they love the sport and you got to appreciate that. And um, we also got some MLB news, Max Scherzer at his first start for the Los Angeles Dodgers last night. The Blue Jays are on a bit of a tear. So we're going to get into all of it today. Um, I know I was supposed to podcast with Seamus yesterday. I told you guys that on Tuesday. However, Seamus, uh, he's on vacation. I told him to take the day off. Um, I wanted him to enjoy some time with his family. You know, he does, he does me a solid every week. Um, you know, he works, plus he takes the time out of his day to join me. Um, I, you know, I enjoy it so much doing it with him. Um, Seamus is one of you know, my favorite people in my life. Uh, and just to be able to, to do that with him every week, um, you know, it keeps our bond together. Um, I get to talk to him. I get to see him. So it, it, it's really great for me. But I, I wanted to give him the week to, you know, hang out and he just bought a new home and he needs to get things situated. So I wanted him to have that time to to kind of get, you know, just kind of reset. And he's been phenomenal on the podcast. If you guys have listening from the beginning, I think Seamus, you know, like me, I started off here very wooden. Maybe you guys still think I am, but uh, he's killing it. And I think he's a natural at this. I think he's got a lot of personality. I think he's really good at it, but I want to give him the, the week off and we'll be back next week, uh, Tuesday around the same four o'clock. So we usually do this. So I imagine it'll be the same time, but I want to give him the week off to just, you know, decompress, reset, and, um, you know, just be ready for, for another push here as we get closer to the fall. I'm sure he'll be back on again uh, to talk some sports. I mean, the NFL coming is a big Cleveland Browns fan. So Cleveland looks like a Super Bowl contender for the first time in a long time. So uh, that's exciting for him. You know, his Maple Leafs, not so much. But, um, you know, Seamus will be back next week. And you know, like I said, I can't thank him enough for what he's done for to, for to the point and, you know, making – uh, making the time out of his life to, to join me every Tuesday has really been uh, a blessing so far to me. So thank you, Seamus, if you're, if you're listening today. Um, you know, the Olympics is, you know, top of mind. We have, a, you know, this decathlon winning a gold medal, a couple silver and bronzes last night that, you know, not the biggest deal to me. But when you have breaking news, you, you lead with that. I mean, that's, you know, journalism 101. And we're going to get to Andre DeGrasse. We're going to get to the Canadian women's soccer uh, team, USA basketball. Uh, but prior, just about 30 minutes ago, prior to me going live here, the Toronto Raptors released a statement saying that President Masai Ujiri will be remaining with the organization for an extended period of time. The 51-year-old, uh, his contract was expiring. It's been rumored for a long time. Is he going to leave? Does he have, he has many other interests. Does he want to get into politics? Um, he's been trying to 
you know, the Washington Wizards have tried to lure him away, the New York Knicks. But Masai Ujiri, the architect of the 2019 NBA uh, Finals team for the Toronto Raptors, is staying in Toronto. Um, it hasn't been released the dollar amount. I think it would break records in the NBA for, um, for an executive. I'm saying he's making 10 to $15 million. Again, I don't have that figure set in stone yet. If, I, if it comes up or if it's released, I will let you guys know. But he wasn't staying in Toronto for you know pennies on the dollar. And I think in his last deal, he was making a sizable amount of money. But you win a championship, the first championship that the basketball team's ever won. You put this team on a relevant scale again. You defeat Kevin Durant and the Gold State Warriors. Health or not, the championship is yours. You're going to get a pay raise. And I also think you look at Masai Ujiri, what he's done in the community. He does a lot of great work. He did projects with Nelson Mandela prior to his death. He um, has a charity in Africa. Um, you know, I heard a, an interesting conversation yesterday on the Dan Patrick show with Lane Kiffin. He's the head coach of Ole Miss. And he said that Nick Saban, you know, Nick Saban gets paid around $11 million a year at the University of Alabama. And Lane said he was underpaid. And he said, you know, it could be not just, it's not about what you do on the football field, but it's what you do off it when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to attendance, when it comes to making things relevant, Nick Saban is the driver. Even if you're a kid that doesn't play football, if you're in the States and you say, I could go to Alabama or I could go to Purdue and, you know, academics isn't your top priority. Why wouldn't you go to Alabama? You get to watch a football team week in, week out, compete for a national championship. That's a no brainer. And I look at Masai Ujiri, and although this is pro sports, even though I think college football has been a pro sport for a long time, is slowly morphing into that with the name, name, image, and likeness with, you know, players making money. You know, we saw Quinn Hewers, he was going into his uh, senior season in college uh, down in Texas. He's not going. He took summer courses. He's enrolling at Ohio State. He's going to be a freshman try to compete for the job, unlikely to win the quarterback job, but he, he's going to make $1 million next year in endorsements where in high school, he would make nothing. Of course, it's a no brainer. You go to school early, you make the money while you're there. But Masai Ujiri can drive people to Toronto because he's built a track record. There's never, the Toronto Raptors have never been a free agent landing spot for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sure, people from Toronto love coming there. I don't know if American players, that's really happened where Toronto's a destination city. I don't buy that yet. But you see John Tavares, you see Jason Spezza, these guys that are from the GTA, so to speak, love coming home. And boy, do the Toronto Maple Leafs love signing them. So in, in basketball, in Canada, it's different because Although our Canadian program continues to get better, continues to evolve, we still are on a much lower scale when it comes to NBA players. You know, a lot of these players that we're talking about are American. I mean, there are Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's from Greece. There is Luka Doncic, who's from Slovenia. But in essence, you're trying to attract free agents to Toronto. And the biggest selling point you can have other than the city 
which, you know, take it or leave it, there's a lot of great cities in the world, is a winning environment. And for the longest time, Toronto didn't have that. Vince Carter left when he could. Tracy McGrady left when he could. Chris Bosh left when he could. And we've seen Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan stick around and really embody Toronto. But they weren't good enough to win. They weren't good enough to say, you know, with Siakam, with some of these guys, we can win a championship with us being the two best players. So what does Masai Ujiri do? He goes all in. He flips DeMar DeRozan, who was beloved in Canada, in Toronto. And he faced a lot of backlash for trading DeMar DeRozan, which was so stupid and remains stupid because he trades DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard, one of the best players in the game. He was disgruntled with the Spurs. He had a year remaining on his contract. Masai Jerry says, you know what? I'm going all in. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I'm going to try to win a title here. And that gamble paid off. The Raptors win a title, put themselves on the map when it comes to relevancy in the game of basketball. And in these sports where Canada only has one team, and I'm talking about the Blue Jays and the Raptors, you need to be proactive. You need to be winning because that's the only way teams are going to even semi accept you as a viable option when it comes to free agency, when it comes to accepting a trade, if you have a no trade clause, because there's, there's still this issue of customs and I'm talking about airports. Players still don't want to deal with it. Yeah. You might have the nexus where you can pass through, but it's still a pain in the ass. We've heard athletes complain about it for years and, you know, Kawhi left after one year. But I still think Masai Ujiri has left a dent. And he has great relationships around the NBA. Can he lure other free agents to Toronto? Can he make a splash signing? I give him better odds than any executive Toronto, the Toronto Raptors could hire. You know, Bobby Webster could be a great general manager. For you know, all we know he is. But does he have he doesn't have the same cachet as Masai Ujiri? Ujiri had, was, I guess he's being covered by the New York Knicks. The Knicks are starving to be relevant. And they're semi-relevant right now making the playoffs last year. But they get bounced in five games. And the only thing the Knicks have to their name is, you know, reporters who are lying saying that, well, Damian Lillard would love to go to the Knicks if he gets traded by Portland. Okay, that's worth a whole lot. We've heard that about LeBron James or that about Zion Williamson. We've heard that for years. And it's a bunch of bullshit. Just call a spade a spade here. But Ujiri has cachet. He has intrigue. He has the respect of the NBA to say, you know what? This executive said he was going to bring a title to Toronto, and he did. And you can't say that about a lot of guys. Mark Shapiro has not done that. He didn't do it in Cleveland. Working in Toronto, hoping to achieve that goal. Ross Atkins can say the same thing. Kyle Dubas, Kyle Shanahan, they can't say that they've won jack shit. They had Lula Amarello, but they decided to go in, in a different direction. So the Raptors knew Masai was so important. He's only 51, so he's not an old guy. He's an executive. We see, there's some old-ass executives. He's not one of them. He said he's staying long-term, and now – 
know, Lowry's gone. You got Scotty Barnes in the draft. You drafted Malachi Flynn last year. You have Siakam, Ananobi, you know, Van Fleet, who's really become the face of the team now that Lowry's gone. So where does he take this team? And for him, it's about winning and winning as fast as you possibly can. So I think Ujiri will look at this roster and say, is Siakam a part of that? He was when we had an all-star player. He's dipped. His game has dipped since then. So does he stick around? We've heard rumors that teams are inquiring about him, yet he still remains a Raptor, you know, at this point. Um, OG Ananobi continues to take strides. Is he part of the future? Is he part of our long-term plans? And these are all discussions that'll be had. But again, it, it's just, it puts more and more importance that the Raptors, they have him. He's the president, now the vice chairman or of the organization. So he gets a little bit more status as well with this new contract. And ultimately, it gives Toronto more cash. And I think it gives, you know, Toronto has always been, they felt superior in the hockey market because the Toronto Maple Leafs are original six. They're the Maple Leafs. People don't shut up about them uh, for good or for bad. And, you know, that's what they've grown. That's what they built. In the NBA, it's polar opposite. The media in Canada does not hold the weight. In At ESPN, at TNT in the States, the Toronto Raptors rarely play because the ratings don't count. Uh, when you play in Canada, TSN, Sportsnet, get those ratings. They do not count to money towards you know those big teams. So they don't get a whole lot of pub until the playoffs, and you have to put them on TV. Then, then you do it. Otherwise, the Raptors rarely play on Christmas. They rarely play on primetime games. So they are bottom of the barrel when it comes to um, viewership, when it comes to intrigue in the NBA. But when you have a figure who's got a personality, who holds some cachet, you can immediately rise back to the top. And I don't, you know, the Raptors are in an interesting spot. They still got a nucleus of players that have won a championship. I don't think they have a star on a superstar on their team. Fred Van Fleet's a very good player. He's not a good enough player to win a title. He can't be the best player on the team to win a championship. That's no slouch against him. Kyle Lowry is a very good player. He was not good enough to be the best player to win a championship. That's just a fact. He might be, most people see him as the greatest Raptor of all time. It doesn't change the facts. And so for Masai, is this team, is the nucleus of this team good enough to, you know, complement a superstar? Looking around, doesn't look like Giannis Antetokounmpo is leaving Milwaukee, just won a title there. He's not going anywhere. You got LeBron AD locked up in LA. I'm, you know, not happening. Kawhi Leonard, he's not coming back to Toronto. Paul George is there. He's again, not a superstar player. But I don't think you need multiple superstars. The Raptors proved that. Milwaukee proved that. But I do think you need one. And right now, you, you got to wait. Could the Raptors acquire Damian Lillard? I think it's unlikely. But could you put a package together that doesn't cripple your team, but at the same time, you get a Damian Lillard, who's one of the best players in the NBA? You know, Is he good enough to win a championship, the best player? I think he can be. Because in Portland, I think Fred Van Fleet is better than C.J. McCollum. And if 
in a trade, if you can keep Fred Van Fleet, I think you'd have to give up Siakam for sure, potentially Malachi Flynn and a pick, maybe more. Uh, but Lillard is a name that I is a guy who's disgruntled. You could potentially have him. So he's your next target. And if it's not this offseason, could it be Bradley Beal? Could he be the guy that you target, that you go after? But until Masai Ujiri has still has something to prove. Can they build a foundation where free agents, top-notch, a superstar would come to Toronto? He's gotten them here via trade. But can he do it via free agency? Because if you love the nucleus of your team, you don't want to part with it to get that superstar. Case in point, Carmelo Anthony, this is a long time ago, but he was in Denver. He wanted to leave. He wanted to go to the Knicks. They did a sign and trade. So when Melo was traded to the Knicks, all the players that would have helped him, you know, helped them become a championship contender were in Denver. Daniel Gallinari, uh, you know, I'm going to forget names off the list here, but they all departed to Denver. So when Melo got to New York, he was a superstar with no help. And the farthest that he got on the, the Knicks to the plus is the second round. You know, he's one, a great player in the NBA but he never got them to that ultimate goal. So that's running the risk as well is, okay, we might get that superstar that might help us sell tickets, potentially, even though I don't think it'd be hard to sell tickets this coming season after this whole pandemic. But are we good enough to win? New York, they weren't because they gave everything away. Mello was stuck in New York with a bunch of players that you know, just weren't good enough to, to get over the hump. And he was sat, you know, sitting there holding the bag and his career went down the drain until he revived it um, a number of years ago in Portland. But, you know, I think it's a positive day for Raptors Nation. You keep Masai Ujiri. He was the architect that won you a championship. He's not afraid to piss off the fan base. That's something I think is invaluable when it comes to sports. I think there are so many managers that are afraid to piss off fans. They're afraid to have negative press. I think there's a guy in that's in Toronto. He's a GM of a team. I'm not going to say which team. Could be the Raptors. Could be, uh, I'm sorry, could be the Blue Jays. Could be the Argos. Could be the Maple Leafs. I'm not going to say what it is. But I think there's a GM who's afraid to piss off the fans that's afraid of negative press. He's afraid to trade certain players, to try something different, to admit he was wrong. Masai Ujiri isn't. He was hated for trading DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan was this great kid from Compton. That didn't change. But he embodied Toronto. He didn't want to leave like Vince, like T-Mac, like Chris Bosh. But they still cut him. They put his head and they chopped it off. They sent him to San Antonio. But on the other side of that noose was Kawhi Leonard, the hatchet man, grabbing the Larry OB and it takes balls as an executive to take away a member of the team that is so popular. Kyle Lowry loved him. They're still best friends. He did that to Lowry. He just didn't do it to the fan base. He did it to his, you could argue best player at the time. And he wasn't afraid of the ramifications. And that's, so important in this whole discussion is that 
you need the guy in the driver's seat who isn't afraid of negative press, who isn't afraid of the player's reaction. Is your player's input important? Of course, but it can't be the most important voice. The most important voice, the only voice that truly matters is the management group. Players can have input, but when you feel you're on the on the verge, you are just about to cross the, the line to win a championship, it's about your gut feeling. And I'd rather acquire the superstar and get fired than stick with mediocrity and then you're still going to get fired. So I'd rather roll the dice and have a chance at winning than stay in the middle and get run over by superstar year over year. That's what was happening. LeBron James was beating, and the Cleveland Cavaliers were beating Toronto year after year after year. And Masai Ujiri said, enough of this. I'm going to do something about it. And he did. So... That's obviously a big change. He, I mean, he's staying in Toronto. We'll see what he does with this team. They draft Scotty Burns, which is a little off the board from Jalen Suggs, the guard from Gonzaga. So now they head into next season. They still have some, they still got to pull up a sign, a sign and trade with Lowry. We know Lowry is going to the Miami heat, but what happens? Who, who comes back in return? What kind of, uh, you know, what happens? So, We'll see. We'll see what happens. But interesting day for the Raptors. Of course, City of Toronto has to be excited. And um, I'm sure the talking heads will be all over this uh, tonight on you know, Overdrive, Tim and Sid, whatever else shows that the, that talk about Toronto. But, you know, I wanted to be first. So uh, congrats to the Raptors. I don't care if they win or lose, but I think it's a big deal. And I think it was the, the right way to start off the show today. Um, we're here on Thursday. The Tokyo 2020 Olympics are winding down, but this second week has really been an interesting one for Canada. Um, at the end of week one, we had Andre de Grasse. Monday, he raced around 10 o'clock, winning the bronze medal in the 100-meter dash, losing, uh, but setting a personal best record, a Canadian record. And, you know, I crush bronze. I hate bronze and silver. Uh, and I was nice to DeGrasse, I heard from people. Um, and it's hard to argue with a personal best, I will admit that. Uh, but I wanted him to take that bronze, which is still your personal best. You sucked in the qualifying. But take that personal best and build on it. And to his credit, like most Canadians do, he rebounded in a big way. And... What does he do? But he wins the 200-meter gold medal. Qualifying, best time. Semi-final, best time. And again, he had a real tough start to the 200-meter. Didn't look like he was going to medal. Brought the Jets, you know, took it home at the end. The grass wins the gold medal. And Cap, we hadn't seen, he was the only, until today, he was the only Olympic man to win a medal. Now he's got a bronze and, and gold from this event, from this Olympics. And it's so big for him. It was a big moment uh, heard around the world where, you know, in this track and field, 
track and field in the second week of the Olympics of the Summer Olympics, that's where it's at. That's what it's about. It's about track and field. And, you know, getting the bronze is big, but Usain Bolt talked about him in Rio that Andre de Grasse was the next, he was coming. He was next in line. And I, I think, you know, this cemented it. Usain talked about it. De Grasse pulls off the 200 meter win. He lost to Bolt in both events in Rio. And the bronze definitely came up short, but winning the gold here is a big deal. And it's not, it's not any bigger than any of the other golds won by the, our Canadian women. Uh, but uh, track and field holds a lot of weight. It's really the spectacle of the Summer Olympics. So I give credit to DeGrasse for having that Canadian perseverance. We see that a lot you know, in the World Juniors, where a returning player might lose the year before but they come back and they win the gold medal. They find a way to wield it. They're often a captain, a returning player. They don't, you know, they're not going to lose again. They're at their second crack at it. They're bringing home the gold. The grass, you know, channeled that inner strength here uh, in this event. And he did it. So credit to him. And he's 26. The next Olympic, next Olympics is in three years. That makes him 29. I think we'll see him again. Uh, Usain Bolt, retired around this time. Uh, but I think DeGrasse will come back and race again. Um, winning here, obviously this would be a good way to go out the 200 meter final. You get a gold medal, but I think he's a competitive guy. I mean, he's been in that friggin' visa commercial a thousand times. He's never going to get more publicity than he is right now. So kind of talking to him about it, out of coming back, but you know, I think he's a guy that, likes to push himself. He's competitive. And, you know, Usain never raced at the Olympics at age 29 and won a gold medal. Maybe he can. That's something Usain didn't do. He didn't come back at 31 to race. Can DeGrasse race at 29 and win a gold medal? Can a Simone Biles compete in gymnastics at age 27 and medal? I think that that's what athletes are built on is, well, can I do something that these others didn't? And I'll be curious to see what he does next coming years, but congratulations to him, a phenomenal race. And today, you know, our, in the decathlon, which is just a crazy, uh, you know, you're doing 10 different things, running through water, just the, the sheer amount of cardio training, which is uh, something I love to do. I'm a big walker. Um, I like to push myself when it comes to how long I can go. I, I, this is not even, I can't even put myself in the same discussion, but uh, it's such an impressive thing how in shape these guys are, these men and women are. And for, for Canada to have a first place, to win gold in this event really is impressive to me. Uh, we are, another man finished fifth, but getting gold, in the decathlon um, is so impressive. And again, it's just, uh, it's imp so incredible. I'm going to talk about some other events that didn't involve Canada, but I thought I'd update you guys. The Obviously our Canadian women are playing for gold in soccer and it was supposed to be tonight at 11 o'clock. However, that would be about, I think it's like 9am or it's around that time, Tokyo, uh, Tokyo time. And it's supposed to be 34 degrees 
uh, Friday in Tokyo. And that is too damn hot to play soccer. So originally team Sweden said, we're not playing at this time. Can we please have the, the game time moved? Canada backed it. Like it's, it's only fair. It's only, it's the right thing to do. I mean, 34 degrees uh, is just unbearable for these athletes. We've seen tennis players request it. So they have, and they're going to play tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. here at Atlantic time, which is about eight o'clock at night around there. So Canada will play for gold against Sweden tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And um, I, I think it's the right thing to do, but I'm also pissed off because I work tomorrow. I want to watch this game. I'm still going to tape it, but I get updates whenever we win a medal on my phone. So obviously I want to win. I'm going to watch the game regardless, but I would have liked to watch it tonight. I would have pulled a late night, watched Canada, you know, win the gold medal because we're going to tomorrow. Saying it now, we're winning. Tomorrow, Christine Sinclair and those women are going to win the gold medal. And hopefully what this does is obviously, I talked about it earlier in the week, it's going to put Canada on the map when it comes to soccer. But hopefully it helps provide, helps get, uh, helps push a league in Canada, a women's league where they can make a living, where they can do this um, and do it year round because our women's program is so dominant. They deserve that. Just like our Canadian um, hockey players that are going to be competing in the world championship in a couple weeks, they deserve that. It's about time it's happening. Um, and I just, for Christine Sinclair, who just might be the greatest women's soccer player of all time. I really hope for her sake, she's won two bronze medals. Yeah. The silver would be nice. Gold is where it's at. That is what you, you play to win the game, Herm Edwards. And Canada will win tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. If you aren't working, if you can sneak the radio broadcast at work, uh, if you got a TV near you, throw this game on. Again, I'm not the biggest soccer fan in the world, but this is a big moment in our country. Win or lose it is, but if we win, it's huge to be on top of the soccer world, the most popular sport in the world, it would just be incredible. And I hope that I know that we're going to do it. We're, we're going to win tomorrow. That's just, it's just a fact. Uh, Sweden, look out because the Canadians are flying through. We defeated Megan Rapino. You know, Megan, I hope, you know, they U.S. won the bronze medal today, which I wish they wouldn't have because I just, I hate any time the States win anything. But, you know, they, she was surprised that they lost to Canada. She's never lost to Canada. We'll get used to it. And U.S. get used to it in soccer because we're coming for you. And we're not stopping anytime soon. But Sinclair, the women tomorrow, go win. Get the goal for Canada. I think it'll be that gold medal will be as important as any gold medal we've ever won at any Olympics. And I'm talking... Donovan Bailey, I'm talking about, you know, DeGrasse went, this would be as big as than any, any individual medal. Cause this could set a tenor for the future of our country. And maybe I'm thinking too big, but I think if you don't think that you're thinking too small and Sinclair, those women ride this wave, go win gold tomorrow. I have faith in you. I'll be watching 
when I can. Um, some other, you know, the most captivating thing so far, the Olympics to me, I, I think the volleyball has been really good. I think like I, uh, you know, the track and I'm, I'm going to be talking about track here, but the 400 meter, 400 meter hurdles race with, with the men the other day was insane. I was able to catch this where Norway's Karsten Warholm, who set the, set the world record, the world championships a few weeks ago, not only broke, not only won this race, but broke his own world record. Warholm ran the 400 meter hurdles in 45, 45, 94, 45 seconds. And broke it, breaking his own world record, shattering it. But this is the crazy thing. Rye Benjamin from the United States came in second. He broke the original world record. So, you know, DeGrasse is one thing, you know, having the personal best. This guy broke the world record and yet he still lost. That tells you just how well this guy ran the race. But Warholm, this little white Norwegian guy, would not be stopped. What a race it was. Four, the top four finishers broke the world record. That's how tight this race was. The six, the top six all set new personal bests out of the eight. It was incredible theater. It looked like Benjamin was going to win. Warholm really turned on the Jets at the end. And, you know, coming around that last lap, the last turn, he, he got in the lead, but it, Benjamin kept close to him. He just beat him out by, by a nose. And, for him, you know, winning at the Worlds, winning here again, but an incredible race. Uh, the hurdles, guys, just jumping over that running so fast is incredible to me. And that was incredible theater. That's what you want at the Olympics is seeing that kind of stuff. Uh, also, I watched the water polo semis. Um, what brutal. You know, that's basically, I think, what water, what the water, cold, water polo sorry, coaches do is when you're, when they're, when you're young, they go to a pool and they see a big kid and they say, Hey, can you go drown that guy? And if you can go over to a guy and start drowning him and do it quite effectively, you're going to be playing water polo. And you just see what these guys do. I mean, they dunk guys heads under the water, you know, choking them. And then you're battling it. It's, I've heard uh, commentators talk about the practice sessions where it's just teams but you basically go to war day in, day out. You practice around 4.35 in the morning. You get in the pool, and you basically just start fighting one another. And it's incredible to watch. I can't believe that they do it. But it's, a, it's barbaric in a sense because these guys are just going at it. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed the water polo. We have a few days left. Um, Elena Sharp uh, and... Brooke Henderson are involved in golf. They're kind of far off, but we'll see if a Canadian woman can make a push uh, this weekend in golf. We got soccer. So we still have a few things to, to wrap up. And also this morning, Team USA, uh, bas you know, men's basketball, who you know should are the heavy favorite to win the gold medal, which they should be, uh, defeated Australia this morning. They were down by 13 in the third quarter, but Kevin Durant, the best player on the planet, really willed that team to victory. Chris Middleton, the now NBA champion, and Devin Booker were big helps as well. 
But Durant, the seven-foot monster who was making threes, blocking shots at the rim, was the catalyst. And they beat Australia. Uh, France overcame Luka Doncic's triple-double. So now France will play the U.S. for the gold medal. France defeated um, Team USA in the in the preliminary round. But yeah, that was in the preliminary round. That was the first game. I, I hope that they can do it again. But Australia beat USA in, in the pre-tournament. And I just think we see from the U.S. is that they start slow most of these games. But they have that they have the most NBA talent. They have the most talented players, and it's very hard to defeat them. Evan Fournier, um, Rudy Gobert, these guys are good NBA players. But you say, okay, well, yeah, we're stopping him. But then we got Durant. Then we got Draymond Green. Then Devin Booker's coming out. Then we got Middleton. And it's just wave after wave of really good player, and it's really hard to stop. And, you know, Patty Mills played really hard for Australia and has been great throughout this tournament, but it's just not enough. And, you know, for, for Kevin Durant, who's you know, property of the Brooklyn Nets, after a great playoff series against Milwaukee, but ultimately coming up short, I think this helped him into next season. Uh, really have him prepared for next year where he hopefully can have James Harden, have Kyrie Irving healthy. He's going to go into the season the heavy favorite. He went into these, this Olympics, the heavy favorite, obviously Team USA, but him being the best player in this tournament. And for him to have a great tournament and then have that expectations and, and face it, I think will help him. He did it in Golden State, but he, it, was, it was impossible for them not to win in Golden State. You could say in the Olympics, well, teams are more gel, well gelled than USA because these guys are all on different teams. Australia, these guys have been playing on the national team for years. But I look at Durant and say, he's facing those tough expectations. They acquired Harden midseason last year. They're going to have a full offseason together, full training camp. They should all come into the season healthy. Can you face those expectations and go all the way? And I think this will tell us a lot. If he can win this gold medal game, that gives me a lot of confidence that he'll be comfortable doing that facing those lofty expectations next year and I'm not saying if you lose this he's not going to have a chance to do that but again I just feel better about him and the Brooklyn Nets chances of at least getting to an NBA finals next year if we see Kevin Durant close the deal at this Olympic Games. so that'll be France versus Team USA for for the gold medal um, in the next coming days I think it's Saturday that'll be the game uh, the gold medal game so um, that should be entertaining to watch. And then um, Australia and Slovenia will play for my, my mother's favorite medal, the bronze. Uh, so that'll, that'll be in the coming days as well. But Durant will look to cap it off a good, great Olympics and give another gold medal to Team USA. Tonight marks the return of the Canadian Football League. Like I said off the top, it's been 20 months since they played a game crazy to think about um and i started being a cfl fan the, the reason i became a cfl fan was because of my grandfather um i didn't i was watching football it's always been one of my biggest regrets in life is not playing football um my grandfather told me that um when i was like in 
middle school that I should have been a middle linebacker. And I agree uh, with him because I think I would have loved it. But, you know, he in- introduced me to the CFL. I didn't know a lot about it. Um, I, I learned about the game, three downs, very different from the NFL. But unlike most people, I gave the league a chance. And it's it's been around in Canada for over 100 years. And I just love watching it with him. He was a big Hamilton Tiger Cats fan. At the time, I was a big uh, Toronto Argonauts fan. I've now, you know, cut ties to cut allegiances to everybody. But, you know, when he was, when he was living, uh, the Tiger Cats made it to three different great cups, but never won. And, you know, that was always such frustration on him. And I think because he rooted for Hamilton, rooted for the Toronto Maple Leafs, that's the reason he had to be a New England Patriots fan because he needed to win something. I don't discredit him for that. Um, but with all that being said, it's just, it's this league is special. We have hockey, we have basketball. You can watch those all the time. And I think we can, we take sports for granted because we're like, Oh, it's starting in this day. Let's get it going. The CFL was very close to not returning. And, you know, in Saskatchewan, in Winnipeg, in Edmonton, the CFL is really important. Saskatchewan doesn't have another pro sport. Winnipeg has the jets. But the Blue Bombers are huge. They're coming off winning a World Series, uh, sorry, winning a, a Grey Cup. And it was massive in that city. The Canadian Football League holds a lot of weight. Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, these guys, these, they sell out. And these players are rock stars up there. It'll never be the NFL, but that's not what it is. The CFL is its own league. And Starting tonight, you have the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You have the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And, you know, for Winnipeg, they do not have Darvin Adams, one of their top receivers. No Andrew Harris, who was the most outstanding player of the Grey Cup. And has been most outstanding Canadian four different times in his career. But, you know, Zach Kolaros is back. You got Mike O'Shea, the great coach, who's back on the field. Tonight for the Tiger Cats. Jeremiah Mazzoli in 2019 tore his ACL. He didn't get to play. It was Dane Evans in the, in the Grey Cup. He was that quarterback. Mazzoli is now back under center. And, you know, Hamilton still has, who the other night, the TSN panel had the top 50 players. Speedy B, a.k.a. Brandon Banks, was rated number one. He will be on the field playing receiver tonight for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And it's just, I think it's just a big moment that, we were able to get this season, to get this league back on track. Everything comes down to dollars and cents, and they couldn't play last year because there was no fan attendance. The, the deal they have with TSM when it comes to playing and TV deal, it's not enough money to, to keep them on the field, to, to, to let them play. Uh, you know, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, it, it's, it's a sizable thing. The reason teams were in the bubbles is because of that TV revenue, how much it brings in. The reason the Olympics is happening right now is because of NBC and that TV revenue. Um, you know, you see the cases in Tokyo, it, it's staggering, but it, it doesn't, it's about TV money. It's about making money. And 
for those cities, and I even think Montreal's really embraced uh, the CFL over the last number of years. They their attendances continue to grow. Where they had Anthony Calvillo for a number of years, they had uh, Jim Pop as the great GM, Mark Trussman as head coach, uh, Ben Cahoon. They've had great players travel through Montreal. You're looking at Vernon Adams Jr. at quarterback. This guy is another is a guy that looks like he can be a star. He's got personality. He's athletic. So can he be, can he get Montreal back to the promised land? They have not made the Grey Cup since Anthony Calvillo departed the organization. Um, you know, the Toronto Argonauts, who have struggled attendance-wise for years, they've also struggled on the field for years. They now have, you know, Pinball Clemens, the, one of the most revered Toronto Argonauts of all time, is running the team on a day-to-day basis. Can he direct this team? They had three quarterbacks in the in a race to see who would start. A Cloud Bethel Thompson, the former draft pick of the uh, Minnesota Vikings. He's bounced around the NFL, um, been in Toronto for a number of years. They had Antonio Pipkin, who's gotten starts in Montreal in the past, and he's been a starter. And then they also had Nick Arbuckle, who was backup, was the backup quarterback to uh, one of the greats in this league, Bolivar Mitchell, is still the quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders for a number of years. So who was going to start? And it was announced today that Saturday night, uh, they're going to face the Stampeders, the Argonauts, in Calgary. But McLeod Bethel-Thompson will be the starting quarterback. Had a great second half of the season last year. He's a pro-style quarterback. He likes to wing the ball down the field. But he's a guy that that gets things done for sure. And, you know, it's not all about court, but it's a quarterback league. Every league is. And, you know, just having these players back, having headlines. And, you know, from tonight – until December 12th, which is when the Great Cup will be played, there's going to be CFL every week. There's four games every week. And that that's something I think we can all celebrate. We're going to get to see Trevor Harris. We're going to see Mike Riley. We're going to, you know, see these great players, Brian Burnham, these receivers that, you know, Greg Ellingson. Great players get to do what they love. And again, it's not all about the money in this league. It's not all about the fame because you have so many other sports overshadowing, overshadowing you. But the Olympics are going to end this week. You're going to have baseball. The NFL has training camp going on. You'll have preseason games. But to me, this gives the perfect spotlight for the CFL, especially in this country. You know, if you can go to a game, go. I've been to every game that's been played here in New Brunswick. All the games in Moncton, I've been to them all. I went to the first couple with my grandfather. I'll hold those moments, you know, in my heart for the rest of my life. And, you know, watch the games tonight, 9.30, Bombers, Ticats. I'm not telling you what to watch on TV, but I do think you want to appreciate it when it's here. And I know tonight I'm going to be watching the game, seeing these guys, you know, I'm sure it'll be rusty to start. They haven't played in 20 months. Imagine not doing something you love to do in 20 months. You're not going to be at your tip-top shape. But um, it's exciting. I think it's a great day. You're going to have CFL coming back tonight, you know, Canadian women's soccer tomorrow. And, you know, I just hope for, for a great season where, you know, COVID doesn't interfere. We can get some full buildings because these are outside stadiums. You know, in Winnipeg should be full barn. Okay. If you have to be vaccinated, whatever, you know, throw your protocols in. Uh, governments love to do that. So throw your protocols in, get those set up. But the barn should be full. 
you know, I think the, the Blue Jays should have bigger crowds. If you're vaccinated, fill that shit. Should be 40, you know, fill the barn. Life goes on. And this league in particular, attendance is key. The Grey Cup is in Hamilton. So they open tonight playing the last Grey Cup. They'll hope to host the uh, Grey Cup come December 12th. But we'll see how this season goes. I'm sure we'll see a lot of um, t- uh, turns and twists and turns along the way. But um, I'm excited to see what kind of product the CFL will deliver this upcoming season. Um, Keeping on the theme of football, um, this week I've talked a lot about the Indianapolis Colts. You know, losing Carson Wentz to foot surgery for 5 to 12 weeks, then losing All-Pro, maybe the best tackle in football, Quentin Nelson out of Notre Dame, 5 to 12 weeks to that same foot surgery. And it sparked some debate over the last couple of weeks when it comes to quarterbacks. I mentioned the Indianapolis Colts on the roster right now. They have Jacob Eason. They have Brett Hundley and they have rookie Sam Ellinger out of Texas. Those three guys have very limited NFL experience. Hundley. Uh, I got this wrong. He's got played nine. He hasn't made nine starts, but he's been involved in nine games where he's played some mop up duty or the team was losing big. He came in. Eason's in his second year. He's never played. Ellinger's a rookie. He's never played. So now you look at it and say, the Colts, you know, when's Carson Wentz going to come back? You know, Frank Reich said, we really don't know. It depends on rehab when this guy will return. And it's a big, it's a big question mark because it's not like you're replacing, um, you're replacing a quarterback. This is a big deal. You know, it's not a minor injury where uh, you know it can be a tackle and you can plug and play in the NFL you need a quarterback to win I'm just pulling up their schedule here but to start the year you know I I mentioned this the other day but I'm going to go through it again see here we go yeah Google thank you so you start off week one Seahawks that's no easy game especially that's not a gimme with Carson Wentz then you play the Rams, Matthew Stafford. You got Aaron Donald running at you with no Quentin Nelson for right now, Jacob Eason at quarterback. Yeah, good luck with that. Then you go Tennessee, your first road game of the year. I mean, that's an important game. It's division. Tennessee has won the division past couple of years. Uh, you, st- you got a good defense, but I don't see Jacob Eason being good enough to propel that team to a victory. And where's your run game going to be? Then they go to Miami. Who knows? Miami's kind of a a team that, you know, they went 10 and six last year. How are they going to do this year? Ryan Fitzpatrick has moved on to the Washington football team, but can Tua Tagovailoa take that next step? Can he be a starting quarterback in this league? Remains to be seen, but still not an easy opponent. Then you go to Baltimore. Yeah. On Monday Night Football, Lamar Jackson, that Baltimore defense, again, with so that brings you to week six. Then you got the Texans. They're the worst team in the NFL. You should win with anybody. Then you're at San Francisco at the Titans, hosting the Titans. That's Halloween. That's the first eight games, your first half of the season. That is not an easy schedule with Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz, whenever he comes back, he's going to have limited reps. He's in the first year with his new team. He doesn't have rapport with Michael Pittman. He doesn't have rapport with Jack Doyle, with T.Y. Hilton, with Zach Pascal. And he's going to have to come back on the fly to a moving train more often, more than likely. So it starts the conversation, what do the Colts do? Do they go out there 
and try to acquire a veteran. I mentioned Marcus Mariota of, of the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I don't see Vegas wanting to part with him at this time. I mean, he is valuable. He might be, he's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. Again, it's a backup quarterback, but they're value. You know, you don't want a guy that's threatening to your starter, but you want a guy that threatens the opposing team if he is to get into the game. There's also Nick Foles, who I don't know if you heard, he got asked by the media the other day. He loves Frank Reich. Talked about how Frank Reich's the best coach he's ever been around. He knows him to perfection. Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator that switched the offense when Carson Wentz blew his knee out in 2017. Nick Foles took over that team. They went on to win a Super Bowl. So Nick Foles has had the most success of his career, even more with Frank Reich than he did with Chip Kelly. So those are two potential options. Gardner Minshew, I mentioned. But there's another name that's resurfaced here. And that would be future Hall of Famer, more than likely, Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers has played 16 years in the NFL, played the first 15 in Los Angeles for the Chargers, then walked away from the team when they drafted Justin Herbert. He played last year in Indy, and he retired shortly after the season. But he said yesterday that he's staying in football shape. He doesn't know if he's completely shut the door on football yet. He's coaching high school football with one of his, I think he's got nine children. So he's living in Alabama coaching high school football. But he said, you know, he wouldn't likely, you know, be a week one starter, but he didn't rule out being a quarterback late in the season. So this might not be the perfect fit for Indianapolis because he wants to coach his, his son throughout the season. But could Phillip Rivers be an option for another team? If a team has a quarterback go down, they look like playoff bound, potentially a Super Bowl threat. Does Phillip Rivers get the call and say, hey, Phillip, you know, you've got the fifth most passing yards ever, the fourth most touchdowns. You've done it all in this league. You know what you haven't done? Won a Super Bowl. We got a loaded team here. Come play under center for us. And you don't got to be the hero, but be a, a good enough starting quarterback where you can win a Super Bowl. And that could be the Colts because maybe Carson Wentz plays. He's really good and he finds his game, but the guy is more, is so injury prone. The guy's an ace bandage. So Nick Foles could be a potential option for the Colts, but I see this Phillip Rivers news as interesting for December, late November, early December, where he could be the answer for a team that maybe the team signs him to be the backup at the time, but there's an injury and then he's ready to go. And you know, any number of teams could do this because you look at it and you say, well, the Rams, they are Super Bowl contenders. They are betting favorite. They're one of the betting favorites. If Matthew Stafford, who is as tough as it, as you get, but say he gets injured. Well, Phillip Rivers is better than their backup quarterback. Just a better option. And you don't have another year where Aaron Donald is there and you don't win a championship. So Phillip Rivers being brought in on a one-year basis, you still have Stafford in the coming years, is a better solution. The Miami Dolphins. I mentioned them off the top, Tua, it remains to be seen what he's going to be like as a quarterback this year. They had Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. If he could get them close to a playoff spot, say within a game or two, maybe you sign Phillip Rivers and he can get you the playoffs and maybe go on a run. Who knows? But I do think this is an intriguing option where Philip Rivers has said it to the LA Times, 
I'm not closing the door on football. Has to be the right scenario, has to be at the right time. But in late November, in early December, is there a team that says, you know what, this is the right move for our franchise? Phillip Rivers is great. You know, he's not, he is never, he's a good quarterback. He's never won in this league, but he he's better than what we have right now. And we feel that we can do this, that we can win this. Um, and I, I think it's really interesting. It's intriguing. Um, it, it's an interesting story. Obviously the Colts jump on it because he played for the Colts last season. But I do think um, that it's an option. And we'll, we'll see what happens down the road. But I, I do like um, what, what's happening here. Um, tonight also marks the Hall of Fame game in the NFL. And that's it's the first preseason game of the 2021-2022 season. Um, it's the only preseason game this week. That's what, you know, Steelers and Cowboys got to camp first so they can prepare for this game. The inductees are put in this weekend, but it's all, it's played in um, it's played and the hall of famers will all be there. It's for two classes um, because they couldn't induct anybody last year due to the pandemic. So it's going to be a loaded field where this weekend you're going to see Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, uh, John Lynch, the current, um, the current GM of the San Francisco 49ers. It's, it's a loaded class, obviously two years, you know, Edrigan, Edrigan, eh, I can't say his name, Edrian James, you know, the great running back for the Indianapolis Colts who played with Peyton for a long time. He'll be inducted as well. And it, it's a special weekend. We'll also see um, Troy Paul Malu, who, you know, one of the best defensive players to ever play the game, play with such intensity, could read defenses, made some of the greatest tackles, jumping over, um, jumping over centers, jumping over guards that you'll ever see. But, you know, tonight is special for the game, but you're also talk you're talking about Peyton Manning being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Peyton Manning um, is royalty when it comes to the NFL. When you think of quarterbacks, I think immediately you think of Tom Brady, of course, you know, the, the GOAT. Uh, but you think of the Manning family, Eli, Peyton, even Cooper, who never made it, uh, who likely would have made the NFL but couldn't play, who couldn't play past college because he had a serious um, neck injury. Their father, who also played in the NFL for a long time, it that family is and is the NFL, the Manning family. You know, Archie Manning started it all. Then his two sons, who have a combined four Super Bowls, that's pretty damn good. Then you look at Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson helped change the game. There was this called the Tuck Rule, where Charles stripped the ball. Tom Brady fumbled but they didn't rule it on the field. And it led to a change in the rules where the Oakland Raiders, you know, the then Oakland Raiders, now Vegas got jobbed out of a win. Adam Vinatieri had a game winning field goal, but that could that have changed Tom Brady's legacy, that play. Uh, he would have lost that game. That was his first Super Bowl run. You know, who knows how that goes, but 
Charles Woodson, not only for that, but a great player at Michigan. Again, playing that safety position is just uh, a really a phenomenal player. You got Megatron, who pulled a Barry Sanders, where he was 31, still at the top of his game, but stuck in that pit of despair of the Detroit Lions, and he decided to retire. He didn't want to take those bumps and bruises anymore. And after a career where this guy, you know, I think if he kept playing, he could have been in the conversation with Randy Moss, with Terrell, uh, Terrell Owens, um, with Larry Fitzgerald. He's still great, but he's now going to become a really big advocate for CBD, which is, um, you know, obviously uh, marijuana uh, to help uh, football players. So he's, you know, he's kind of set his own path after his career. Everybody does different things. He's become a real big advocate for CBD. Um, but we'll, I, I just think, you know, then you got John Lynch, who has been waiting six years to be inducted. He finally does. And, you know, he gets to go in uh, a good pass rusher in his time, current GM of the San Francisco 49ers, like I said, so different feel for him, but it's, it's special for sure. Um, and I, you know, this weekend is special for those players. I like to hear their speeches. So I'll, I'll try to catch that Saturday night, but um, you know, just to see the jackets to tonight's game, we should hear some cool interviews from these guys. So I like uh, that as well. You're also going to see Jimmy Johnson be inducted uh, and Bill Cower, two really great coaches Cower winning multiple Super Bowls in um, Pittsburgh. Then you have, um, you had uh, Jimmy Johnson winning two Super Bowls in um, in Dallas. So a lot, you know, Mike Holmgren going in. You got um, there's just a lot, a lot of great, a lot of great guys uh, going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. And you know, you got to appreciate that, respect what these guys have done to the game. Um, we'll get to baseball tomorrow. Uh, we're gonna do a preview that tomorrow. We'll talk about baseball tomorrow talk about the CFO opener tonight. Um, we'll talk about UFC two. Um, we'll talk about UFC 255. Uh, let me get this right. Might be 256, might be 266. Don't know off the top of my head here, uh, but I'm looking forward to the paper this weekend. It is UFC 260. Oh, I was right. 265 uh, headlined by Derek Lewis and Cyril Gain as they fight for the heavyweight championship. Um, and We'll also see Jose Aldo, Michael Chiazza, and they'll fight on the card. So um, big fight in Houston on Saturday night, big card. So we'll talk about that tomorrow and any other news that pops up along the way. Canadian women's soccer, hopefully we'll have a gold medal. So a lot happening tonight in the, in the world of sports. But as always, thank you for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow, Saturday. We'll be doing a breakdown of the Metropolitan Division NHL when it comes to free agency. So gear up for that. And then I should um, having planning having Harrison, uh, Harry, Harry shooting belt on next week to talk about the NBA. And then at the end of the week, a round table with Cole, uh, Cole McDonald and Rankin Campbell to discuss the Atlantic division in the NHL. So a lot coming into the point. Um, hope you guys are enjoying uh, our conversations and everything that we're doing here, but as always, let me know in the comments, what's up. And, uh, Stay safe, have fun, and we'll talk soon.